Morning. It's good to be here again, see all of you again. Some of you haven't met before. Some of you I've met in a number of other places. For a lesson of the morning, I'd like to take a look at a particular verse, Psalms 118 and verse 24. This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. I see Daryl out there. <laughs> what did you think about when you got up this morning? What was your thoughts? Do you enjoy every day that we have? The Bible says, This is the day the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. You know, every morning when you open your eyes, you ought to be thankful. Lord, I'm alive. You ought to be thankful for that. Step your feet out on that floor and begin to think about the day. You should wake up rejoicing. Do you do that? Now, now be honest with me. Do you really do that? <laughs> some people do. Did you know that? Some people do. And then some people don't. And sometimes the people that don't resent the people that wake up rejoicing in the morning, <laughs> as far as that's concerned. I don't, I'm not saying you need to wake up and make a whole lot of noise and things like that. But we ought to enjoy every day and appreciate every day that we've got. You know, the Bible says that God gave us life to start with. Do you ever think, stop and think about that? You know, how come you're alive? I know why you're sitting here because you're alive, but how come you're alive? Genesis 2 verse 7, the Bible says that God formed man from the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul, and God gave life to man. And that not being sufficient, God looked at man and said, it's not good that man should live alone. I'll make him help meet for him. Now that doesn't, that's not helpmate, even though a wife is a helpmate. But a helpmate, that means someone that's suitable and able to meet the needs that man had. And so God created the woman for the man. And then the Bible told Adam and Eve in the last part of the book of Genesis chapter 1, said multiply and replenish the earth. And that's where you and I come on the scene. <laughs> First man was made directly from the dust of the ground. You and I didn't come into being that way. First woman was made directly from the rib of that first man. You and I didn't come to the world that way. We came to the world later on when God told them to multiply and replenish the earth. God created man with the law of reproduction so that he could fill the earth. That's what God had in mind. The world left to itself right after God created it had its wild natural state. God stepped down. And he took a special part of the earth, eastward part of Eden, and there he made a special garden. Planted a special garden for mankind. Every kind of tree that man could think of. Told him to dress and keep the garden. Now then, if God expected man to multiply and replenish or fill the earth, the garden of Eden probably could not have held everybody. So he had in mind man would expand and perhaps uh, make the rest of the earth kind of like a garden. You know, God gave you life. You're alive. Now, I know there's troubles in life, but you ought to rejoice in the fact that you're alive. You, you ought to live your li- every day of your life rejoicing because of the life that you've got. Uh, Hebrews 12, verse 9, the Bible says that God is a father of our spirits. Now, when God created you, He created you and I different than the animals. He gave us a touch of His own spirit, a touch of His divinity. Acts chapter 17, verse 28, the Bible says we are the offspring of God. In the book of John, Jesus said, you're all gods. Now, we're not gods like the Heavenly Father are. 
But we're all gods in that we all have a touch of divinity in us. We have a physical body. But God put a portion of His own Spirit within you and I. And that's what makes you and I so different than anything else on, the, on this earth that God created. We have a touch of divinity in us. And of course to the rest of the world, I guess we are gods in a way. To the animals we are. Plants, of course I don't guess plants have even minds as far as that's concerned. But just stop and think about how God created us. Bible says in Isaiah 45 verse 18 that this earth was created to be inhabited. That's what this earth is here for. It's here for man. For man's benefit, for his use. The Bible says in Genesis 1 verse 28 that we should have dominion over the earth. Hebrews 2 verse 8, God put all things in subjection under us. Hebrews 2 verse 7, He put us over all the works of His hands. That's what this world's here for, is for man and his use. You know, as far as having dominion over the earth and things of that nature, if there's any command that God has given to mankind that He's pretty well fulfilling, it's that. Having dominion over the earth. While the laws of physics and all that God created set up to start with, laws of electricity and everything else, laws of mathematics, all make all of this possible that we've got here. Just think about what God's done for you and I, what He's given to you and I. Boy, this world is so much different than the world I was born into, I guarantee you that. Now, I was born in a hospital at Duncan, Oklahoma. But the next two children were born at home. And most children those days were born at home. Now, you never even hardly think about a child being born at home. Radio was just coming on the scene. Television was not... I guess maybe in the minds of some scientists, they were thinking a little bit about it. I was born in 1936, incidentally. I think television was admitted in 1939, but it didn't come on the scene until a long time after they did. Cell phones, it just, just blows your mind. Listen, this is a wonderful world we've got here. We ought to enjoy every day that comes along that we're alive in this world. Bible in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 17, God has given us richly all things to enjoy. Everything this earth, you know, that is good was given here to man for his enjoyment. Do you enjoy the things of this world? Now the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 7 verse 31 that we should use this world and not abuse it. Now we understand that the good things of this world can be run into the ground. We understand that. You know, Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes set out to seek and to search out all things that were good for man to do. What was best for man to do on the face of the earth? Now, there is a phrase that's used, uh, oh, I think about 28, 29 times in the Bible. I mean, the book of Ecclesiastes. There's two different phrases that are used. One is the phrase, under the sun, under heaven, on the earth. The other phrase is vanity of vanity and vexation of spirit. Now when you stop and think about that, here he's talking about the things upon the face of this earth that he was seeking and searching out. The things done under heaven, not above, things done on the earth. Not in heaven, but the things done on the earth, the things of a worldly, earthly nature. What is it good and best for a man to do? Now when you get to the last two chapters, then he brings in spiritual matters. But the first ten chapters have to do with things of this earth. What is best for a man to do? What is it of any value for a man to do upon the face of this earth? And he points a few things out that's good for man to do. 
His conclusion was basically, if a man can eat and drink of the fruits of his labors and enjoy his labors, that that's one of the one of the things of real value he can get. That's in Ecclesiastes 2 verse 24. Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 12 says, Rejoice and do good in your life. Ecclesiastes 9 verse 9, Live joyfully with the wife of your youth. So here's basically what he says, as far as this world is concerned, the best a man can get out of it, the things that are very much valued also, eat and drink of the fruits of his labors. That is, if you eat and drink the right things, you know. Eat and drink of the fruits of your labors. Enjoy your labor. Enjoy your family, your wife and your family. And do good to others. And when you've done that, you've done, done the best. You've got about all this world's got to offer you in a way. Now, there's a lot of other things out there that are kind of on the, on the borders, on the edges out there that are given to you and I to enjoy. God has given us richly all things to enjoy. And these uh, these can add some interest to life. But when you focus on those things, build your life on those things, that's where the vanity and vexation of spirit sets in. So we have to kind of adjust those things. Now when he gets to chapter 12, then he begins to talk about spiritual matters. And the last couple of verses he says, Fear God and keep His commandments. This is the whole duty of man. But a lot of people misunderstand Ecclesiastes because they think it's a very, they think it's a very, uh, negative book. It's a very depressing book because there's nothing of any value on this earth. What Solomon's talking about is the things you focus on. And he tells us the best thing you can get out of this earth. But when you get to chapter 12, then he brings in spiritual matters. He said, now fear God, keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. Book of Ecclesiastes is actually a wonderful book. And if you'll take the conclusions that he draws, and when he says, eat and drink of the fruits of your labor and be happy in this life, that phrase is repeated a number of times in the book of Ecclesiastes. Remember the things that are really important. First thing is to fear God, keep His commandments. After that, then enjoy your life, enjoy your family, do good to others. And so that's the way Solomon kind of winds things up. Wonderful, wonderful world. You know, there's a poem. Let's see. I think I've got it over here somewhere in my notes. Just parts parts of a poem. Listen to what this author says. The clock of life is running. Make the most of today. Time waits for no man. Yesterday is history. Tomorrow is a mystery. Today is a gift. That's why it's called the present. This is the day the Lord has made or rejoice and be glad in it. And I hope that you enjoy every day of your life. A lot of it has to do with your mental approach to things. And that is a habit, the kind of habits you set up about the way you think. Philippians 4 and verse 8 will kind of help you along those lines. He tells you the things that are good to think about. Those things that are... Of joy, those that are good, of good report, those that are, have vir, are virtue and praise to think on those kind of things. So, we got a new year coming. I hope that you will set your mind to enjoy every day that you have, regardless of the problems that come along. Now, there is a special day each week that comes along. We ought to especially rejoice, enjoy that. That is the first day of the week. The Bible says, Hebrews 10, 25, You and I should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, 
Acts 20 verse 7, the Bible says the disciples met together to break bread upon the first day of the week. Every week has a first day. We should assemble on the first day of the week and we should look forward to that. Psalms 122 and verse 1, I was glad when they said, let us go up into the house of the Lord. What's your thoughts about that? I hope you're especially happy when the first day of the week comes around. You know, we have a fellow goes to church with us by the name of David Smith. We have two David Smiths. One's a father and one's a son. But the older fellow told me, says, when I was growing up at home, we didn't do anything on Sunday morning except, except eat breakfast and get ready for church. Now, then I'm not saying that that's what you have to do. There's a lot of us do a lot of other things also. But you know, it was very important to that family that the first day of the week he'd come around, they were going to assemble and worship God with the other Christians. That was important to them. Now that upon the first day of the week, the Bible tells us the things that the church were involved in. Acts 20 verse 7, the disciples met together to break bread on the first day of the week and Paul preached to them. They had teaching and they had communion service on the first day of the week. 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 15, I will sing with the Spirit, sing with understanding also. I'll pray with the Spirit, pray with understanding also. They had singing and they had prayer when they assembled together. Then 1 Corinthians chapter 16 points out that they made their contribution upon the first day of the week. And that's what we do. God has lined the assembly out the way He wants it to line. Now He's left a lot up to our own judgment. Singing, how many songs? Where are you going to sing those songs in service? The order of the communion, you know, when the communion is going to be and all like that. The time you assemble has all been left up to us. But the God, God has laid out the parts of the worship He wants you and I to be involved in. He wants the church to be involved in when we assemble together. Are you especially glad when the first day of the week comes around? Or is it in your way? Is the assembly of the church on the first day of the week in the way of your life and the life you live? If it is, let me suggest a change. This is the first of the year. Why don't you make up your mind from now on that the first day of the week is going to be especially important to me. And I'm especially going to rejoice and be glad when the first day of the week comes around. Where we can assemble and worship God and fellowship with the saints. Now then, I want to turn to Mark chapter 12. I want to read to you somewhat. I want to begin reading with verse 1. And he began to speak unto them by parables. So he's going to give us a parable. Of course, the word parable comes from two phrases, para and the bull. Bull has to do with ballistic, the word, something that's thrown. Para has to, is similar to our word parallel. So a parable is something that's thrown up alongside something else. Thrown up parallel to something else. In other words, he tells a story but it's thrown up alongside of an illustration, points that he wants to make. So the parable is not a real event. He's telling about something people are familiar with, and he wants them to catch the messages that are in there. It says, A certain man planted a vineyard, and he set an hedge about it, and digged a place for the wine fat, and built a tower, and he led it out to husbandmen, and went into a far country. So this man, he's got a vineyard. 
raise grapes. That's what a vineyard is, where you raise grapes. He's got everything there that's necessary for the vineyard and producing the fruit of the vineyard and producing the juice that comes off of the grapes. Now, he let it out. In other words, he rented it out to husbandmen. In other words, he has leased this vineyard out to people to take care of. And he's going into a far country. So he wants these fellows to take care of that vineyard where he can get his his part of the fruit from that vineyard. At the season, he went into the husband, sent into the husbandman a servant that he might receive from the husbandman of the fruit of the vineyard. So time has come. Fruit, fruit's ripe and ready. He's ready for his part. The least money, you might say. So he sent a servant to these husbandmen taking care of the vineyard. Well, they caught him and beat him and sent him away empty. You know, we've got, we've got some rent houses. We've got three rent houses. If I sent my son over or sent someone over to get the rent from somebody, of course, they bring the rent to us. We don't go get it. But if we did that and they beat them up and sent them away without the rent, well, what would you think about a deal like that? Well, that's exactly what happened to this vineyard. Well, again, he sent unto them another servant. And at him they cast stones, they threw stones at him, and wounded him in the head, sent him away shamefully handled. Well, that's bad, isn't it? And again he sent another, and they killed him, and many others, beating some and killing some. Having yet therefore one son, his well-beloved, he said, he sent him also last unto them, saying, They will reverence my son. He thought, surely. You know, he's already killed one of the They've already killed one of the servants. Beat a bunch of them up. Stoned them. Now, that's a terrible deal, isn't it? Now, he's taking a risk, isn't he? He said, I'm going to send my son. Surely, they will reverence my son. But those husbandmen said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him. And the inheritance shall be ours. And they took him and they killed him and they cast him out of the vineyard. Of course, you and I know what they're talking about here, don't we? The thing that's the the, the real points of the of the parable that he's laid up alongside of that are very obvious. God sent his prophets to warn the Jewish people time after time again about their sins. They killed a lot of them. Last of all, he sent his son, Jesus, and they killed him. So it says, they took him, killed him, cast him out of the vineyard. What shall therefore the Lord of that vineyard do? He will come and destroy the husbandman and will give the vineyard unto others. Have you not read the scripture? And of course, the kingdom was taken away from the Jews, given to the Gentiles or anyone that Jew or Gentile that would accept the Lord. Have you not read this scripture? The stone which the builders rejected has become the head of the corner. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Someone says, what in the world has got that parable got to do with your lesson of the morning? Did we get her? Get her other scripture. Let's turn back to Psalms. 118. And I want to read, start reading in about verse 21. 
I will praise thee, for thou hast heard me, and art become my salvation. Do you remember the scripture that was read in your hearing as we started? The stone which the builders refused has become the head of the corner. Oh, that was in that parable we read, wasn't it? The stone being Jesus. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Now, you and I ought to enjoy every day. And the thoughts we had had about that, I hope you'll take those to heart because they're good. But that is not the day he's talking about in Psalms 118. We ought to enjoy the first day of the week. And I hope you'll all take that to heart too. And I'm sure you probably do. You enjoy the assembly on the first day of the week. But that is not what Psalms 118 is talking about. He's talking about that time when the stone was rejected by the builders and became the head of the corner. He's talking about that time when they cast the son out of the vineyard and killed him. Talking about the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. That was the day the Lord hath made. You and I should rejoice and be glad in it. That is the day that he's talking about. Read the context. Read the context. How often do you think about that time? Some says, well, I think every first day of the week when we assemble, we'll have communion. We, and the communion uh, brings to our mind the shed blood of Jesus Christ and His broken body on that cross. And most of you probably say, I think of Him even more than that. That's good. That's great. Do you rejoice in that day that He died upon the cross? Why should there be such rejoicing? Why is it so marvelous in our eyes? This, that, that day that happened 2,000 years ago. Well, Romans 3, at verse 23, says we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 6, verse 23, then says the wages of sin is death. Romans 5, 12, therefore death is passed upon all men for that all have sinned. There's a curse that's hung over all mankind ever since He's been upon the face of this earth. That curse is sin and death. God made you and I creatures of choice where we can make our own decisions about things. And that's wonderful. But sometimes we make decisions that are contrary to what God wants us to do. Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden. Unless we get to cast too much blame on Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, remember this, death is passed upon all men for all have sinned. You and I have done our own share of sinning. And as a result, the curse of death, eternal separation from God, was hanging over the head of every individual. Therefore, it's a wonderful thing what God has done in sending His Son to die. The Bible says that Jesus, by the grace of God, Hebrews 2 verse 9, tasted death for every man. Jesus died to remove our sins and the curse of sin, which is death. He died for that purpose. That's what He did that for. This was always in God's plan. Always in His plan. The Bible says in Acts chapter 3 that he was delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. My friends, that cross that Jesus died on was hurled down from heaven. That was always in God's plan when he made you and I. You and I surely know and realize that God was not blindsided when man disobeyed him. 
In case you all don't know what the word blindsided means, if you're not a football fan, you probably don't understand that. Quarterback goes back to pass. The blind side's back behind him where you can't see and Sometimes they get hit from that side. In other words, God was not surprised and shocked when man sinned. That did not catch God off guard. When that, that happened in the Garden of Eden and the rest of men sinned and all, God said, oh my, what where am I going? I got to do something or all men's going to be lost. No, God already had this plan laid. The Bible says that Jesus was a lamb slain before the foundation of the earth. Before God ever formed the earth and placed man on the earth, He had this plan. He, he knew He was going to make man. Knew He was going to make him a creature of choice. Knew that He would disobey God in sin. Knew that the result of that would be eternal separation from Him. And God didn't want that to happen. So God had this plan for His Son to come into this world and die for us. And He did. He died on a cross, suffered that terrible, agonizing death on the cross. This is marvelous in, in our eyes. This is the Lord's doing and marvelous in our eyes. I will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day that the Lord hath made. Wonderful day, wasn't it? Well, in some ways it wasn't a wonderful day. Some some ways it was a terrible day, wasn't it? terrible day for him you and I sometimes when we really try to put ourselves in our minds back into that time and that event think about standing around the foot of the cross seeing all the agonizing that Jesus went through on the cross maybe even witnessing the whip laid to his back that many times took the death of an individual we try to imagine that sometimes it brings sorrow and sadness to our eyes and sometimes men are so touched by it that they write sad songs about his death upon the cross But there was another side to that too, wasn't it? Kind of a paradox, wasn't it? There's a poem I'd like to read you called The Paradox of the Cross. It's bad when you get to be 50 years of age or beyond have to use glasses. That happens. <laughs> When I think of the cross, I wonder what a strange thing happened that day. The blood that stained that wooden cross took my sin stains away. They hung him up on a wooden cross. Through his hands, they drove those nails. He suffered such tormenting pain so I could miss the torments of hell. When I think of that terrible, glorious cross, what a strange paradox. Tears I shed for his agony, yet joy for what it did for me. The bright sun quit its shining, darkness when the deed was done, but it made the world so much brighter, light from God's dying sun. An earthquake shook all the region, made everyone quake with fear, but brought stability for my uncertainties, brought peace and calmness near. They wove, wove a crown of piercing thorns, they forced that crown on his head, so we could wear a crown of righteousness when we rise from the dead. He died with transgressors. He was numbered with the thieves so we could be numbered with the saints throughout all eternity. When I think of that terrible, glorious cross, what a strange paradox. Tears I shed for His agony, yet joy for what it did for me. He suffered bad to bring about good. That just doesn't seem right. But this is the Lord's doing and it's marvelous in our sight. 
Hope you'll think a lot about Jesus and his death on that cross that day. You know, he didn't want to suffer what he was suffered from a physical standpoint. He knew why he came into the world. He knew that day was ahead of him. He knew it was coming. But the Bible says before he was taken, judged, and crucified, he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. He prayed fervently, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. That wasn't that he didn't want to die for you and I so that you and I could have eternal life. It wasn't that. But it was a physical pain he knew he was going to have to go through. He had a physical body just as physical as yours and mine. He suffered as much as you and I would have suffered with that whip on our back, that crown on our heads, and those nails driven through our hands on that cross. And having a physical body, he did not want to suffer that pain. Nevertheless, he said, Father, not my will. But thine be done. This was the Lord's doing. And marvelous in our sight. The stone which the builders rejected. The same has become the head of the corner. They cast the the son out out of the vineyard and killed him. And This is the day that the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, you haven't taken advantage of the death of Jesus Christ upon that cross, we'd like to encourage you to do that. They have a baptistry here. They have towels to dry off with. They have robes for the ladies and coveralls for the men to put on. If you have never been baptized into Christ, never taken advantage of that wonderful day that the Lord hath made when Jesus died upon the cross. If you've never taken advantage of His death to forgive you of your sins, you need to do that this morning. So we're going to sing an invitation song. And if you'd like to be baptized into Christ, just step on down into the aisle and down to the front and we can take care of that. Also, if you desire the prayers of the church for some reason other, I invite you to come too. Will you come while we stand and sing the song selected?